I really enjoyed reading your book when family calls. Tell me what inspired you to write it. Well, what inspired me to write it um, was my experiences with five different family members um, that I never anticipated, never expected. And um, and actually, before I go on, um, Gary, I'd like to thank you for giving me the opportunity to talk about my uh, new book and also to share some of what I've I learned through the process of caregiving um, long distance. So um, the, the five experiences, I won't go into obviously all of them in depth, but I can explain that the first time I received a call, it really came from a call going out from me to my parents. And um, so the first call was calling home and then finding out that something was wrong with my dad that my mom could not really um, explain except that he was acting weird. So that led to a whole host of uh, issues and problems and me jumping on a plane within 24 hours um, from Florida to Michigan. And um, it also led to a very long-term, drawn-out, just journey of helping my parents with a myriad of things that go along with helping people that suddenly have no agency of their own due to various um, health issues, um, dementia, etc. So um, I was thrown into that. And then from there were three more experiences, um, one with my aunt and my uncle, so those ended up being two separate, and then ultimately also my brother, which was wholly unexpected. So these five experiences kept happening, and I um, had been, uh, when it first started, I was on a leave of absence from my uh, job as a school social worker. I have a master's in social work, so I had a lot of experience with helping people, um, children and families, so that was my specialty, and then schools and working within that system and, and helping um, people communicate, finding ways to best help kids, families, etc. So I had a little experience going into this situation, but um, what I found was it, it cannot fully prepare you. Nothing can prepare you really fully for what happens. I'm always intrigued by this. How did the long distance factor affect you and those you cared for? Well, that was the, really probably the biggest, well, one of the biggest hurdles for me was the um, long distance factor. So I did learn a lot of uh, ways to cope with it a little better and um, help my family better as I went along. Um, and it's a great question. And I think to just synopsize it a little bit, the, the first call led to the first, you know, the whole flight experience and then going in and out and learning even the system of um, – you know, uh, travel um, and having to do it on a moment's notice and then suddenly realizing, and you know, I mean, people that have take business trips, they learn that you have, you know, your stuff pretty well ready so it's easier. Well, that wasn't really my style in the beginning. <laughs> so I learned that I had to be prepared um, and plan for the worst and hope for the best in most of the situations. So the first one was a training ground. Um, and it also involved moving um, elderly parents with lots of issues um, to another state. 
So that was part of the long distance that was nobody near them at the time um, and having to look for moving them out of their home, which they couldn't um, handle anymore. And then the next uh, experience, uh, the caregiving, when you're far away, um, it's not like you can just get in a car and go down the street to check and see how things are every day. So I, I learned that it was important to establish who I was with the um, the places that took care of my parents, be it the hospital, a nursing home, um, and um, assisted living, wherever they were, um, in an emergency room, whatever. Um, and that was true with all five of my family. I had to be present in some way where people knew that there was a vested person looking out for their their care, you know, I mean, their charges, whoever they were taking care of. Um, out of sight, out of mind. And I just, part of it came from my observing what happened with other people when nobody was there um, for them. And this is not to um, speak negatively about, you know, institutions and the people that work in them. I mean, obviously, there's good and bad in everything that there is from, you know, the person checking you out of the grocery store to, to you know, a surgeon to the nurse. So you're going to have a variety of different people, so you kind of have to adjust your expectations. And But what I did was I tried to find an ally, and I learned this kind of along the way. Um, and I think that might have been also from being in school systems where I traveled from different buildings to different buildings, and who was the person that could, you know, kind of, look out for or let me know when things were going on with somebody that I was uh, caring for. So um, it could, sometimes it was the receptionist. Sometimes it was one of the nurses or an aide or somebody that was a night person. Um, I found sometimes, well, a lot of times with elderly, things get worse at night. Um, anybody, actually, physically, things can get worse at night, and I made sure I was available and let them know they could call me or I would call. You know, if I I would get calls from, for example, my brother in the middle of the night, and so I needed to be able to help him because he wasn't able to help himself. Getting an ally, that's a brilliant piece of advice, you know, uh, at any hospital, care situation, doctor's offices, and even a receptionist is that's very smart. But how did you walk into this other town and this other healthcare system and establish your pharmacy as the CEO of Caring for Your Well Money? Well, I think at first it was certainly hard. My first go-around with my parents, it was harder because suddenly I was in a completely different role. And as I talk a lot about that in my book, that in, when you become a caregiver with a family member, the first thing you really learn quickly as, wow, you know, okay, this was my big brother, but now I'm the one <laughs> taking care of. Um, this is my dad who controls the world. <laughs> you know? I mean, he was very strong, and that's like nobody's going to tell me, you know. So um, I had to really kind of dig deep to get the courage, to be honest, to be able to speak up. It doesn't come... I mean, I'm actually kind of more, I think I would call myself personality-wise, 
I can be assertive. Um, not everybody is wired that way. Um, this is not going to be easy for somebody that is, you know, not really interested in talking to a lot of people. I happen to like to talk. <laughs> I like to talk to people. I like to get to know people. But if you're shy, um, then you might want to even consider bringing somebody with you to, you know, that's a friend or another family member or, you know, find somebody else in the family that will be the one that kind of checks in. So how I did it, I think in the beginning was a little bit based on my experience, but a lot of it was kind of by accident in, in the sense that I realized that I couldn't be um, absent. Um, I, I couldn't go and see them for a couple of days and then disappear. And I just found that I just needed to reach out. And what I found, the upside was, the people taking care of your family appreciate it. First of all, they appreciate seeing somebody that is vested in the person. I heard a few times people saying to me that were in, in you know, professionally taking care of my family, they would say, I can't tell you how hard it is to see people where nobody ever comes. Nobody. And um, we ended up actually moving my uncle, um, who was um, my actual final charge. He was in the middle in the mix, but that's, that's too complicated to go into. But, um, and because we stopped to see him before we left Michigan, and my husband, we both said, oh, my goodness, you know, and my aunt had died the year before, and everybody thought he, you know, that's another thing everybody said for each person, oh, they won't last long without their spouse, and they did. Um, but, uh, and that's not always true, but in statistics, actually, point to the opposite, that spouses a long time, you know, together often do not live long singly after somebody dies. But um, the main thing is, I think I was reinforced in doing what I was doing that there were enough people that appreciated it. Now, that's not to say that all of the healthcare workers or the whoever was there appreciated sometimes because they want to kind of go about their business and not well, feel I like it. They really did appreciate it. I know I've heard from health, uh, healthcare professionals how much they appreciate when families are involved, and we as families sometimes think we shouldn't be a squeaky wheel, we shouldn't be involved because it'll it'll annoy him. But I think the opposite is true. I agree, but I think that yeah, there's a small percentage. I, I guess it's more of a warning. There are some, and and it's just because maybe that's how they do business. That's how they are. Maybe they maybe somehow they feel like they're being second guessed. But that's a personality thing. But I agree with you. I would say. Probably 80 to 90% totally appreciate it. You need to establish primacy with your loved ones. It's very true, and you have to help them feel like they're still a part of some decision-making and, and whatnot. I mean, you can't take over and run it over um, or run them over with everything, and there's a way to do it. And I also found that I would find out what everybody thought was best. Like, there's, let's say there's a really big decision about surgery, no surgery, um, you know, moving, not moving. There's a, a ton of decisions that come along with this whole process, and that's also the hardest thing. You, you, you know, 
a hard thing, not the hardest, but a very difficult thing. And I'll talk about second guessers, or I talk about it in my book, and what you have to do for yourself to get through that. But uh, second guessers can come from the person you're caring for, but also from others that looking in. Um, and so for me, it because my dad respected professionals and doctors and that kind of thing, he was a lawyer, um, I ended up saying, you know, I have researched this talk to whoever, the powers that be, and they're saying the best thing is that this is what we try. You know, everything was kind of, let's try it. Um, I found that I had to do that just like I did with the kids I worked with. They were oppositional or that had, you know, were considered emotionally impaired. And any transitions, anything new, it was like, just do me a favor. Let's just try it and we'll see. And generally, most of the time, that works. So that I wasn't always the bad guy, basically. You know, when you're saying, you know, we, it's really, we, it's not safe for you to be at home. You know, we're going to have to go to um, try something else. And actually, when my this all started, just to give a timeline, in 1999, and my last charge was 2014. And I, I started writing, thinking, right after I think my mother and my father, because somebody said, oh, you should write a book. I'd written children's books for traumatized and grieving children and bullying, and I had that experience from my background. But I said, wow, a lot of things I learned in there I, I, I did use, but now it's so personal that it changes how you deal with it completely. <laughs> so, um, but... I would write a little bit, and then I, I thought, well, you know, okay, that's over. Well, then another one cropped up, and then another one, and I didn't get any time to breathe. That's what it felt like to me. Um, I wasn't getting a, a break. I was a serial caregiver. Yeah. Yeah, and it, and I then I the feelings you have for having the feelings you have, um, and also knowing I had a lot of support. I'm not saying people didn't support me. I learned... Uh, early, well, not early enough, actually, that I, I kind of wanted to be the control it all and take care of it all, and I, it was harder to leave than to stay, you know, that dilemma. So then I said, you know, I had that kind of want to be the one that does it right and the hero, and then you start to realize, no, you've got to ask for help. And my book does talk about, in each situation, I tell the stories from the standpoint of, you know exactly what happened, and I, it's not a how-to book, um, but within each story, because there were so many lessons learned, I mean, the situations became stories, and I, I just felt like that, that inspiration came from people saying to me, you know, how did you know to do that? Or I said, well, maybe sometimes I didn't, but this is how I found out. I armed myself which, with as much information as I could, even And I said, I also learned just sitting sometimes in a waiting room and just striking up a conversation with somebody, you might get something, information from them that they've already learned that you don't know. So no I always say that caregivers, we all have a piece of the puzzle that some other caregiver needs, and we can never know who has that piece of the puzzle you're looking for until you reach out and introduce yourself to every caregiver you bump into. Yeah. Yeah, I had I had people that had just gone through things, you know, and they said, well, 
you know, it, even with as basic as moving, you know, this is what you can do, to, you know, to get the stuff out or sell, you know, I, you know, things that you're just, you're so overwhelmed, and maybe you even knew these things, but all of a sudden you can't even put it all together because it's overwhelming, especially when you're traveling, mm-hmm. you're tired, you're sleeping where you don't mm-hmm. sleep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, these are people that you care about, and they're, I mean, each one of mine was a crisis, crisis-driven. You know, one, it was just I called home, and I had to call um the local police station because I couldn't call 911 because I was in another state. My mother couldn't do it for various reasons, um, which comes in her story from, um, you know, she had a closed head injury in 1985. Yes, she came far, but still my dad was the guy. You know, so all of a sudden that was taken away. Um, and all the stress of, of the way his world ended up being, I'm sure, didn't help. Um, what did you learn through your travails uh, about caring for yourself as a caregiver? Well, that goes back to in what I was saying, and it's a, it's a great question because in the beginning, that's part of that thing you, you feel, especially if you if you have a personality that's like I've got to do it right, I want to get this right. You you end up not taking care of yourself, and um, and I knew it intellectually. I, you know a lot intellectually. You know a lot that you know, but then the emotional end comes in and kind of overrules stuff. And I, I found that I felt like I had no time. So I thought, well, maybe I need to find somebody to talk to. Well, I don't have time. Uh, maybe I'll run into one of these support groups. Well, I didn't feel like I had time. I just felt like I was a rat on the wheel. Um, sometimes, and I was, but I, there were ways to to make it so I wasn't a rat on the wheel. But it took me a while to learn that. Um, and I, I ended up, it took me quite a while, actually. Um, I mean, I did things that were as, small when I started to realize I better do this, my anxiety is high and, you know, I'm not, you know, you don't take care of yourself, you get sick. So I did things as much as, you know, just closing that door and taking a bath and breathing, learning to breathe, a time just to to center myself and shut the world out for a little bit and not feel like I had to get every single thing done that wasn't done when I wasn't home and that it, it, it was that kind of a thing. So, and I'm not to, it's not to say I didn't still have some fun. I mean, I was always, I, I've always liked sports. Um, of course, my body doesn't like it anymore. But, you know, so I learned, I had to do something for relief. But ultimately, I ended up by happenstance and serendipity meeting a life coach that was, um, um, she had started What's Next for My Life. And I met her at a, a gathering for a friend that was having a, a, a afternoon birthday before I moved out of um, South Florida. And I and I, I was fascinated with the process and so I just because I had been done counseling, been in it, but I said, I wanna understand this coaching so just for fun she said, Well let's you wanna do one, just see what it's like. Sure. So that was years um, before um, some of some of it I'd already started some of the caregiving. I said, "Well, that'd be interesting." I'm moving, and um, 
for a second time. And so when I did it, I got on the emailing list um, that she had and about webinars she had or um, that kind of a thing. So when I was in the throes of, now by now, this was my brother who was basically the last caregiving experience. I'd been doing my aunt and uncle in between uh, my parents and, and him and then my uncle after my brother, but um, when that happened, it was he had he had a very aggressive cancer, um, and I got an email that said there was a family um, where people could call in for family members helping, and so I, I called and I explained to um, Paula. I said, you know, I'm in this situation now, and I I I'm, I don't know what to do. And I said, is this something that would be for me to do this call? And uh, she said, well, why don't you, let's just, I'll put my coach hat on and let's just talk. And from there, then she said, you know, we can do this on the phone. You can call me from wherever, <laughs> you know, the airport while you're traveling. And it was, it, for me, it was almost, it, I would call it life-saving. Maybe that's a little too strong, but it, it was, I knew then that I had somebody that not only she knew the whole world of um, the whole cancer um, situation from the perspective of she having it herself and then coming up with a way to help people to find themselves again. And, and But it was also for caregivers, and she gave me um, just such a sense of... Um, it's hard to even describe it with words, but I just needed somebody that I could talk to. I guess this is the best way. And I'm sure any caregiver that's listening to this, when you're in the throes of this and you're, you know, you, you still try to do social things, and I'm a social person, and, but everywhere I was, I had one foot in, one foot out. And I always felt there was this element of guilt, much more with my brother because he was, you know, 58 at the time, um, and it's it's I couldn't help but think how can I have any fun? How can I be having fun when he's suffering like this? And it's you get a little permission that you know you it's okay. You still have to take care of yourself. You still have to have some people around you. Um, it doesn't mean that you forget the other person, but you, it's just giving somebody. It it gave me somebody to talk to also that could listen. I'm sure we, we've all done it. You know, you you have a friend and you want to tell them about what's going on, but it's a lot for people to listen to. What do you hope readers can learn and take away from your personal stories? Well, in, in my stories, each one deals with uh, obviously different situations. Each one I found resources for those situations. I learned a lot about... Um, what people need to do, not just medically um, or for mental health, but just preparing um, ahead for actually their family. Not one of my family members was um, organized and, you know, end-of-life issues. So um, I speak to that in the book, and interestingly, it's not been out long, but people have read it. They maybe haven't been caregivers, and that's, but they've read it. 
they're reading it and they say these are older parents or people that are, you know, winding up, maybe they're retiring and that kind of thing. And their kids are out at college or even married and they, they, they are realizing I have to get my affairs in order. I have to make this manageable for those who are left behind or those who have to take, have to take care of me. Um, you talked about a puzzle before. Every one of my family is like a big jigsaw puzzle. And a lot of it was because uh, dementia had started and, like, they were very bright people and could cover it. Lots of dementia where there was, um, it was happening, but it was hidden and it was very serious. So I learned, um, I talk about the, the legal aspects through how I found people to help. So my, my book tells the stories, I, I hope, when I read, I, I can just connect it to when I started the caregiving was with my father, and I came upon the book by Jacqueline Marcel, Elder Rage, Take My Father, Please. That book is still out. I read it in, what, 1999, maybe 2000. And I remember reading it saying, wow, I'm not crazy. Wow, there's another father that's like this. <laughs> you know, you, you, you don't realize it now. So many years later, there's so much more information out about caregiving. You know, great websites like like yours. Um, those things weren't there when I started. Uh, really, they, it was very much in its infancy, and not a whole lot out there. And I think that the more people, more ways people can get information, be it from a book that's not a step-by-step, mine isn't like step one, this is what you do, this is who you call. It's through the experiences, through my stories, true stories, um, the raw emotion, uh, the feelings of loneliness, even though you know you have people around you, there's still that feeling of all alone, even though you also know, wow, there's so many people going through this. There's this, this feeling and um, I just remember feeling like sometimes I wanted to have people around me, but oftentimes I wanted to, I didn't want to be with anybody. <laughs> and uh, that wasn't really like me. And so the traveling, I, I guess if you are traveling and you're having to do all this, I hope that you can um, find some tips of, you know, how to survive that and, um I have I have some funny stuff that happened. The book's not all, you know, totally somber. Um, I talk about finding humor. Uh, if I didn't have humor, honestly, uh, I I think Gary, you've got to be able to agree with this. If you <laughs> you can't still laugh or or you're not going to be able to. It's just very important, and they have somebody. Humor is the most effective tool you have in your toolkit, and you can't let it go. It's powerful. It is powerful. And, uh, you know, fortunately, I had a family that liked humor. So even, I mean, sometimes it would happen in the most awful moments, you know. And you just, and I always felt like, well, that's kind of a godsend Um, for them and for me. Um, I don't regret any of what I did. Um, you do. I remember feeling like, and I write it, I really felt sometimes like I just wanted to run for the hills. I wanted to run and not look back. 
and just go, I can't deal with this. Um, I learned really how to navigate those systems, who to find in the hospital. Social workers I found two or three times, and it's not because of my background, but I found somebody, now them are good, that's for sure. I also found I got the, the courage that when I had to report something, I found in, in the hospital where the complaint department was, and um, it's a very tough thing. You're always afraid of retribution. It doesn't happen. It's there for a reason. If you see something wrong going on, it's kind of like the, what's going on now, you have to. You have to speak up, and it's just one more exhausting thing to do, and sometimes you kind of say, maybe I'll just leave and I'll deal with it tomorrow. Well, maybe you better deal with it. So things like that come up in each story, and honestly, if only one of the stories speaks to you, I still think it's worth it.